Coming live from Calgary, Canada is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Tyler Foley, actor, speaker, trainer, author, and so many things. And he's the author of the book called The Power to Speak Naked, and he's the owner of Drop the Mic Speaker Agency. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Oh, it's my joy and my pleasure to be here, AJ. And we are also very happy to have you on the show. It's been pending since quite some time, and I'm very happy that finally we have made it to this day, to this time. And today we'll be talking about, you know, as we move into 2023, we'll be talking about the power of a story in 2023. And the power, we can say, either story, message, or communication. And you deal, in, deal with it day in and day out. So start. we are starting from the basic, uh, Tyler, is just what is story in your understanding? Because you are a speaker, you are an actor, you are an author, and you are also a trainer. You train people to, you know, to speak uh, for public speaking and lot many other stuff. So how do you tell them what a story is about, what messaging is all about? Well, I would say that it, a story is our base way of communicating. We've used the power of story for eons since man first started to communicate. It was through story that we did it. And I think one of the things that we forget as a modern society is that uh, we were definitely a, an oral tradition long before we were a written or read uh, society, you know, and I think we take it, uh, we forget now in modern society that literacy amongst our population is actually a fairly new concept, that it used to be a very high and elite small group of humans who could read and write the written language, but we've always been able to communicate orally. And the best way we were able to do that is through story. So story is actually our base or primal form of communication. It's how we are able to describe an experience that we had and illustrate it in a way that somebody else can understand what it was that we went through. So it is that base form of communication. And uh, and the two, although linked, are, are completely different. There's story, and then there's communication. How we communicate is usually more effective if we use the power of story to do it. Right. Right, Tyler. So as we move into 2023, do you think anything will change because uh, the whole world is passing through a very different pace in terms of economy you see uh, there is there are job cuts on the on the big data industry okay the big big companies down there mm -hmm. and then there is this great resignation which we which happened in the last two years we are coming out of covid and then there are new technologies which is coming up which is called the virtual reality and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And even if you look at what you do in terms of public speaking or even as a stage performer or a trainer, then the tools that we used earlier on were simple, just you and the mic. Mm -hmm. 
but now we have got so many gadgets along with that you've got the wall and the it you've got one remote in your hand and you can speak through that you can have so many so much of stuff to showcase in terms of you you know presentations and all that stuff then your words become limited you look at the screen you take those pointers and you speak earlier it was just a small piece of paper and it was you were looking at directly at the audience and talking about even in stage performance earlier it was a bit different now now there's so much of sound and all so in this backdrop how does how do you see storytelling happening and with so much of gadgets do you think it's going to reduce the power of storytelling or will it uh, will will it make it more emphatic several questions at the same time but i just wanted to you know put them to your to your court so that you can respond at your own pace oh i i actually love the questions multiple plural aj and and i and they are all linked so i'm glad that you put them together in such a, a succinct and concise way so uh, let's unpack backwards cuz the last question that you asked was uh, how will story be affected by all of this technology? And I think the answer is yes, but how it's affected is up to the producer or the user of that information. I think technology has this beautiful way if used correctly to enhance the story. But in order to do that, the story still needs to be compelling. And I think of like the difference between a Hollywood blockbuster and a Hollywood flop. And you look at some of these movies, particularly the ones where they come out at almost the exact same time and they're almost the exact same subject matter, and one will skyrocket to number one and make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, and another one just fails. They use the same technology, essentially, and we're telling almost the same story, and yet one used that technology effectively to enhance the story. The story didn't rely on the technology. The technology relied on the story. You know, and I think of like even um, for any of your audience who is familiar with the Star Wars films, you know, there was a real emphasis on look at what we can do with all of this digital stuff for the, the prequel trilogy. You know, episodes one, two and three, particularly episode one. We wanted to showcase all of this technology and make this universe large but it sacrificed the story. People wanted to see more of the story and what they got was more of the technology. And subsequently, so many people very are, have a, a very uh, negative reaction to that film. Where you fast forward to the most recent addition to the Star Wars universe in Andor, it still utilized a lot of technology. A lot of those sets didn't exist. A lot of that was the digital wall that uh, Dave Filoni had put together, that John Favreau kind of, um, helped develop and yet it it really drove into story like Andor you didn't have any Jedi in it you didn't have any of the typical Star Wars lore and it was based on off of a spin-off character from a spin-off movie that wasn't even first built and yet it was so captivating and so compelling because it was true it went back to Star Wars roots which is the hero's journey and the story the telling of uh, human struggle and triumph. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do. So I actually see, 
And I've seen this play out, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, where people have had to really rely on digital technology and digital delivery. And we've gotten away from a, what would be considered an analog audience in that I'm live talking to you. Now, you and I are talking halfway around the world and 12 time zones apart. You know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to connect if used correctly. But the, the key to it is, is the story compelling enough to be augmented by this technology? Or are you simply relying on technology to try and make a bad story better? And that's really the key. You have to have a compelling story first. And then you can start adding technologies onto it. It's actually one of the things that I talk about in the chapter. Uh, uh, I think it's chapter seven of the power to speak naked. Uh, specifically, I talk about how you need to be able to tell a story in an effective way, have a compelling story first. And that's one of the reasons the book is called the power to speak naked. I need you to be able to give a raw and naked presentation without the PowerPoint, without the lasers, without the AV, without the sound, without the augmentation. If, what you're saying is compelling enough, those things will enhance it. So if you do your PowerPoint correctly, you have like an image that will come up. Or as you're doing your presentation, if you have a really good sound technician, you can bring up uh, a song that helps uh, your audience connect emotionally with the the content of what you're saying, whether that's a, a, a feeling of uh, peace or a feeling of happiness, or if you need them to feel a little bit of sorrow, uh, you can you can augment those things, but your words need to be compelling enough. Otherwise, it just becomes a gimmick and it actually is counterintuitive for your audience and it takes them out. So what I'm seeing in 2023 is this great push back to a traditional audience. I'm seeing more and more people going back to a live presentation and then augmenting those live presentations for the people who still don't feel comfortable being in a room with people to be able to have a similar experience from the comfort of their own home by having some of these tools that will allow them to immerse themselves and feel included in that audience. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this way. They say almost everybody, everyone has a story, mm -hmm. but can everyone be a storyteller? Because, I believe, I, yes, you want to answer, then I'll add. No problem. Carry on. Okay, so the answer is yes and yes. Everybody does have a story. And even the people who feel that they don't are usually trying to compare themselves to somebody else's story. Somebody else's story is somebody else's story. You all, you have a story or you wouldn't be existing in this world today. Can everybody be a storyteller? Yes, it only takes training. You know, some people are natural born storytellers. You know, and they are able to just come up with and and spin a captivating uh, or engaging message. They are, they're able to very easily communicate their ideas and their thoughts. Some people struggle with it, but it doesn't mean that they can't learn. It is definitely a skill set that is teachable and that is learnable. And I know that because I've spent the last decade teaching people how to effectively tell their story. And I've seen some amazing progress in that each time I do it. And, you know, and I've learned how to be more effective in my communication from my mentors and, and tutors and guides. So these are skill sets that are teachable and that you can learn if you are interested in doing that. And we have the ability to teach you. Okay. 
Okay. So let me ask you this way. There is something called the creator economy. And almost everybody has come down to creating content telling stories. And it has uh, taken a very different shape. It is still, you know, churning, uh, but uh, it uh, not all the output is that great stuff. And even in podcasting, if you see that there is around 85 to 90 percent pod paid. People do not have that uh, sort of a uh, perseverance left to, you know, uh, move forward towards it for whatever reasons. My question here is that you are, you have been a stage performer. You know all those things. Even when before the show, we were start talking about cricket mm-hmm. or any other game. Earlier on, people used to take their time and the coaches, they used to also make sure whether you have enough motivation to pursue a particular sports or a particular uh, profession or some sort of a skill that you want to learn. So you've got to sit and just watch. Do that, pass that time and develop that sort of a patience. Observe. Mm-hmm. With the coming of technology, people have that particular perseverance time or the waiting time has almost gone. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that the finies, the earlier ones used to have, where will they get, get it from? That is that the reason of the quality of content or the stories? It's not happening Will it dissuade? For example, again, let me hear, I talked about podcasting, I talked about the creator economy, and now we talk about the ebooks. Almost every second person is an author. Now, it is a very different thing to be a published author, acknowledged by a publishing house, going through all that process. I know every time it's not a great story there itself. People have turned down good stories, and ultimately, you have, they have repented. We've got so many uh, published authors now. But at least there was some sort of a filter. Now you can print it. I know it is a good thing that technology is there. But what I am uh, worried about is in the going times, is in the future, is that how does a good performance and a bad performance, a good creation and a bad creation, or a good podcast and a not so good podcast if the numbers are in your favor. And also in terms of a good author and a bad author, again, I say if it's a number game, how does, how do you see story in that perspective? How do you see a storyteller in that perspective? And does it mean that the numbers also mean that the person is, it's a good story or it's a great message? Or the person is a great communicator. Again, several questions, but so that you can, uh, you know, take your time to respond. Well, I think particularly around the books, right? If you have a a book that has sold very well, someone in that chain of sequence of getting that book out to the public was a good storyteller. It may not be the author of the book. It may be their PR agent. It may be their publicist. (laughs) It may be them but not their book, but it could also be their book. So at some point that numbers game 
anytime you see somebody who has gotten a best-selling uh, book, someone was able to tell the story well. Um, and so I still think storytelling is critical as a component because you're right. We are being flooded and it's not just books, right? We have uh, YouTube, which is allowing anybody to be a content creator and put together um, information. And there's some that do really, really well with it. You know, I, I'm sure anybody in your audience listening right now uh, has their favorite thing, including this show. If they're watching this right now, this is something that they're tuning into regularly. So as a content creator, AJ, you're putting out something that your audience is consuming and is enjoying. Part of that is your story and your message around why they should come and watch this, including the banner that's scrolling at the bottom that you so kindly have put down for me to grab their attention so that they know these. this here is the highlighted point that you need to know. This is everything that you need to know about Tyler right now. That is, is critical in that, in that storytelling and that capture. So I think if you don't have the good story behind either the actual content that you've created or the marketing to promote that content. Because you and I both know Hollywood is very easy at getting people to get into the seat and watch a very bad show just by having an amazing and awesome trailer. You know, they can, if they put together a good trailer, people will see it. The word will get out eventually that this is a bad film, but the trailer looks great. That's storytelling. That's taking a bad story and telling it in an effective way. And I often wonder... Who is the guy who cut the trailer? Because that's the person who should have probably been in charge of script edits. <laughs> because that would have made that movie more compelling. And, and that's what we have to do as, as creators, as communicators, um, as publishers of our own content. And curators of our own content. That's the other thing, too. Don't just think of your message or your story as a single entity, one thing. You are curating a collection of information. And we, I think, as content creators, need to start looking at ourselves more like uh, a museum curator. How do I document the histories of me or my experience or what I'm doing so that people can come and see my collection? And start putting together your stories of your life versus your story of your life. And I think that will start helping people hone in more on why their story is important. I've had the privilege and joy of working with Les Brown a few times, including uh, getting to say that he opened for me once. Um, and that is, again, PR storytelling, where I get to say Les Brown opened for me on stage. That's the PR version. The reality of it is... Les has been living with cancer for uh, a couple of decades now and dealing with it in a very effective way. But uh, occasionally he does need to go in for emergency treatments uh, when his health starts to wane. And uh, he was giving a talk, uh, a very long workshop, a two and a half day workshop. And on the last day, he just wasn't feeling up to it. And he knew going in that he probably wasn't going to be able to finish the day. So uh, the event coordinator knew that I was in the area and actually reached out to me and said, listen, Les has had a struggle and he, he needs somebody that he trusts to come in and finish up the day. You know his content, would you come in and deliver? And I was like, yes, to follow Les Brown, yes. So I, I again, you know, it was circumstance and it was definitely Les's show, but I get to say, 
Les opened up the stage for me. And, uh, and I use that as much as I can. But I, one of the things that I learned from him, and I always am studying great speakers, and in my opinion, Les is probably one of the greatest speakers of not just this generation, but of the last century. He is phenomenal, and I love what he does. And he always says, never tell a story without a point, and never make a point without a story. And this is why I think we should be curating our stories, because what makes Les such an effective communicator is his ability to tap into a sequence of stories. He has hundreds, if not thousands of stories, and he memorizes a new quote every every day. So he has tens of thousands of quotes that he can call up on command and tie into and illustrate the points that he's trying to make. And again, back to our eons of oral communication history, that is why we tell stories so that we can communicate effectively our thoughts and our ideas to our audience to bring them on to seeing our world the way that we see it, because nobody sees the world the same way. Okay. Okay. So now people who have a story and can also be good storytellers, but either they don't know that they have a good story or they think that their stories are not compelling enough. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, for any other reason. But let's stick to this compelling enough. Yeah. Uh, they, they may think that, you know, it's it's the time of experts and I'm not an expert and my life isn't exciting. So what will I go and do yeah. anything? So in terms of public speaking, in terms of writing something and writing something authentic, not the PR-ish part, not yeah. the bot reviews and all that stuff. Yeah. But in the real sense. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? How do they deal with this part of their thought? How do they overcome this uh, this part of their uh, their their whole process of growing? Because either in terms of even stage performance, public speaking, or even in terms of writing or even podcasting, you have right. you know about you are a master of you know being a podcast guest for more than three hundred podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the first hurdle to overcome is this notion that our story needs to be a Hollywood blockbuster, somehow directed by Michael Bay with explosions and practical effects all over everywhere. And that just simply isn't the case or the reality. And then I'd alluded to it earlier, but I will bring it up again just in case the listener glossed over it. But your story is your story. And you will never be able to tell it effectively if you're trying to compare your story to somebody else's story, because that is their story. And the reality is there's always somebody who has done something bigger, better, stronger, right? I want to think of, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary is theoretically, theoretically, the first person to summit Everest. Right. He's for sure the first person in history recorded to summit Everest, but I want to hear that story from the Sherpa that got him there. Do you know what I mean? Because Sir Edmund Hillary would have never made it there. He's the one that we all know, but not only did a Sherpa get him there, but somebody taught that Sherpa how to get him to the summit. And I'm betting a lot of those Sherpas were have been to the summit long before Edmund Hillary ever reached it. And so there's always somebody who has been there before you. There's always somebody who's been there faster than you, stronger than you, greater than you. But that is not who you're trying to tell your story to. 
there are people who have never done the thing that you're doing, who would never even contemplate it, that look at you and go, how did you do that thing? Your job is just to be a mentor to that person or to those people who are looking for your expertise your way, not somebody else's expertise their way, because there's a reason their message doesn't resonate with them. I have had the great joy and privilege of working with some of the greatest names in uh, personal development from Les Brown to Tony Robbins, uh, Brian Tracy. You know, I've shared the stage with a few of these people and they're, they are awesome titans. And so as a, a reward for that, I get the ability to get tickets to these events. And my wife, I, I when we were first married, I, I got her to go to a, an incredible program called Transformation Weekend run by a, a phenomenal woman, Erin Sky Kelly, who works very closely with Tony Robbins. And uh, Jen went to it. That's my wife. And, and she went... Oh yeah, no, this is, this is okay. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is life changing stuff. Like you go to this, you come out different. You feel motivated. You have all these goals. She's like, yeah, I mean, it was all right. I'm like, okay, well then you know what the problem is, is Aaron is scheduled or has kind of put her program together based on Tony Robbins date with destiny. So you know what? Tony's coming to our town. I've, I'm going to be working the show. Let me get you tickets. And you can see from the man himself, Tony Robbins, we'll get you to Tony Robbins. So she gets to see Tony Robbins and Tony is Tony. I mean, he literally is the giant in the industry. And, uh, and I'm like, and, and she comes to it and she goes to the event and I'm like, so how, and I even got her primo tickets, like right front row, like platinum, like Tony's there. He's within spitting distance. And, uh, and she's like, I mean, it was okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Tony Robbins. But at the event, uh, Nurka was there and, and, Jen, my wife, gravitated to her and and she wanted to go to her event and I was able to get her tickets. And so off she goes. So now she's gone to Tony Robbins. She's gone to Aaron Sky Kelly, both of them saying very similar things in totally different ways. Then she goes to this Nurka event and she comes back from it two and a half days later, completely transformed. She's like, did you know that your thoughts can become reality? Do you know that you can transform your life just by changing your thought patterns? I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. I've been saying that for two and a half years. You've been to two events that have said that, but I'm glad the message finally came through. And that's the key, right? You don't know. Nurka isn't Tony Robbins. Neither is Aaron Sky Kelly. And Tony is neither one of those two phenomenal women. But they each have their own audience, even though what they're saying is remarkably similar. They're saying it in their own way, through their own experience, through their own stories. And it's through their stories that they're communicating with their audience. And in this case, what resonated with me was not what resonated with my wife. And what resonated with my wife was the messaging from this one speaker versus these other two. And that's the key to remember when you are trying to tell your story, that you're not trying to tell your story in a way that you become somebody else. You're trying to tell your story in a way that helps someone else learn why you are who you are. So it doesn't need to be a Hollywood blockbuster. It just needs to illustrate the points so that they resonate with the audience who needs to hear your message. Right, right. So uh, two questions here now is that for an individual uh, who is not as famous as Tony, 
and they have their own uh, dedicated audience they struggle with finding the audience or even knowing who their audience is mm -hmm. so how do they find their audience and on the other side you train a lot of ceos and top executives they know their target audience potential customers but they learn they come to you to know about the messaging part how to tell their story or their message better what do you tell these two different sets of people one who does not know about the audience and one who does not know about fully about the message how do you tell them what do you tell them well so the first thing when you're trying to find your audience if you don't know who your audience is um, your audience is very likely one of two uh, groups of people. One, whoever you were five to 10 years ago, because we as human beings are constantly evolving. The, the Tyler Foley a decade ago was a vastly different human than the Tyler Foley sitting before you today. And 20 years ago, I don't even recognize that person anymore because we are two totally different people. Um, our priorities were different. Our values were different. Our goals were different. You know, if I'd have continued on, even at, you know, going further back, uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago, 15 year old Tyler wanted to be a marine biologist. And that is certainly not where I am today. So my goals, my aspirations have changed. My reasons for being who I am have changed. But if I need to guide uh, somebody, the best person to guide is yourself because you know what your experience was better than anyone else. No one knows your story better than you. So the best thing to do is tell your story to the people who were in a similar situation that you were that need to experience the same type of growth that you experienced. So the best thing to do is to talk to yourself five to 10 years ago. So figure out who you were and, and create you as your initial avatar. The other thing that you can do if you're like, well, you know, I don't know, I don't really want to work with people like me, which, by the way, is my case. Uh, I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm not excited by that. And I have a totally separate demographic. And that is, and this is how you can determine the second type of people who may be your ideal audience. Who comes to you the most for advice? And what advice is typically asked of you? And if you can hone that down, for me, what I typically found was that I was having female executives and charity directors coming and asking me how it was that I was able to speak so comfortably on stage because they felt so terribly uncomfortable talking about themselves or talking about their message on stage. So that became, you know, one, once is... A happenstance second is a pattern third time is beyond coincidence you know and so we want to make sure that we're paying attention to what is our area of expertise because a lot of times we think our area of expertise is one thing and the reality is it's it's something totally different so when people are coming and asking you for advice pay attention what is the advice they're asking you for what are you typically giving them and what is helpful like, what, what do people come back and say, oh, AJ told me this, and you should go talk to AJ about it. Like, that is going, that informs you of where people find that your area of expertise is. One of those two things is going to be who your ideal audience is. Now, if you already have that audience, 
or you've discovered your audience or in, in, as you had pointed out, executives and CEOs who are coming to me, usually because they're having a breakdown in communicating their message, not necessarily to um, an audience of people who are potential clients, but they're usually having a hard time communicating their message to um, a passively indifferent audience in that they are employees. They are subordinate within an organization who are either tuning out their message or are not connected with their message, usually because the executive themselves is not connected with their message. And that's where I start to really help people find their messaging is why, why do you feel this is a thing that is supposed to be said? Is that actually how you feel? Because if there is a disconnect between what you're saying and how you actually feel, your audience will inherently feel it and then they will not connect with it or respond to it. You need to feel the message as, as a part of your being internally before you can communicate it externally. So that is usually what went, once I have uh, a client who knows who their audience is, but they're struggling with their messaging, that's where we start to do that deep work with, well, is this actually your message? Because I've had a lot of clients who have struggled with that. They think they, sh they should be talking about this. And the reality is what their audience wants to hear is totally different. Or more specifically, how they need to communicate to their audience is different. They're using technique A and technique B or C would be more effective. Okay. So do you mean that in terms of executives, when they are themselves not connected with the story or the message, then the reality is that they have to talk about reality and not build up, build up something because that time is gone. Now, people will not buy uh, unreal stuff. You've got to be authentic. Not only your message has to be authentic, you yourself have to be authentic and be connected with the story, with the message. Is this the biggest change we are going to see in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, and... and... The key to it is authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. The people who are the best and most effective communicators are very self-aware. They know who they are. They know why they are. And they, they speak it unabashedly and unashamedly. You know, and I think the people who are trying to put on this false front, we as human beings have a very innate BS meter. We know when somebody is lying to us. We know when things don't connect. We maybe not know why. But we can feel it. We're like, nah, something, nah, something's off with this, and I don't trust it. And that usually comes from somebody trying to pretend to be something they are, as opposed to just being what they are. And one of the things that I teach almost every one of my clients to, you know, without fail, is the thing you're afraid to say is very likely what your ideal audience needs to hear. Particularly in the case of the executives, you know, they they think they, well, I need to know everything, and I'm like, try saying that you don't. And see how effective that is as, as a leadership thing. Say, I don't know the answer to this. Who can help me come up with the solution? And see who jumps on board. And that always, always, it, I've never seen that technique not work. The other thing is, you know, being able to admit, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't know all the solutions. Because then you're not trying to be somebody else. You're, you are authentically being you. You can say, but this is what I do know. I know this, 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 and this. This has worked for me. And this is, hasn't worked for me. Does it, has it worked for somebody else? Why did it work for you? Like you can be a lot more creative with your exploration of solutions 
And I think that makes people a far more effective leader. I would rather know that I'm working for somebody who has flaws as opposed to somebody who thinks they're perfect because I'm not, I know that I do, I am not perfect and I don't want to work for perfection. I want to work for somebody who is striving for perfection. And, and it, that is, I think a, a distinguisher amongst it. So yes, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. We need to know who we are at our core. We need to know what our strengths are, what our areas of improvement are. We definitely need to highlight our strengths, but that you need to know who you are to know who your strengths are. And then that's how you can effectively communicate out because then there's no BS, then there's no false illusion and people will get your message authentically. Right. And and what did work for you? How did it work for you? Because in your case, Tyler, you have dabbled as you yourself sometimes, uh, you know, spill that from oil to gas to aviation to film and television. And so how did it work for you? What worked for you? Or even if something was not working, how did you make it all work for you? Because the biggest uh, thing that was with you was your versatility versatility that's how can i pronounce it yeah well and so the thing that worked for me was being honest about the fact that i was an actor like uh, I, for the longest time i felt that to work in professional environments to be um you know in the the the, the normal labor force that i had to completely totally uh, reject the fact that I had for almost two decades been a performer. I've been on stage since I was six years old. And so if you looked at my resume for a very long time, it was very spotty or you could tell that you could tell that there were omissions, right? I was lying through omission. I didn't lie about acting. I just didn't tell you that I did. And yet people would meet me and they'd be like, you have a lot more personality than most of the engineers that we work with. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, that's because I kind of got my engineering degree long after I was a performer. And that was just a thing that I did because I thought that I should. And uh, as much as I was very interested in the field of study that I took in being geomatics, you know, and I, I do love earth study. I, 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 I am fascinated with maps and cartography and particularly my uh, speciality photogrammetry, which is, you know, pictures of the earth. I, I still am a performer. And it wasn't until I was able to really reconcile the two and be like, no, I can, I can speak at an executive level because I understand business, but I also understand how to make business exciting through storytelling because I was a performer. And it was the because I was a performer bit that was the broken link. If I didn't come out and say what, you know, because again, everybody wants to know, why should I trust you? Why should I care about what's scrolling down on the screen right now? Why, why does that matter? And what my unique part of my story is, is that I was an actor first from six years old. I've been on stage. So why do I understand this stuff? Because it's in inherent in my personality. It's, it's ingrained inside who I am because it was part of my formative years. I have grown up inside of a black box performing to thousands and thousands of people. Over the course of my lifetime, I've probably presented to over... 50 million people if you took every audience I've ever been in front of. 
you know, that's a lot of people to have stood in front of at any given time. The largest uh, crowd that I've ever been in front of was almost 80,000 people. You know, like that's a lot of people to be to be in front of. So I do understand, A, what it's like to stand in front of that many people. I know the energy that can go with it. I can, and I know the fear that can come with that. Like, oh my goodness, there's a fee- literally a field of people in front of me. Um, you know, and so I, why do you need to understand me? Because I've been there because I am a performer, but if I didn't give that bit of it, I'm just like, oh, well, I, you know, I wrote this book. Okay. Well, great. So as you had pointed out, AJ, so is half of the planet right now, because Kindle's made it available to everybody to be a published author. So having wrote a book does not make you an expert anymore. It makes you another published author, you know, having a number one bestseller behind you. That gives a little bit more distinction. But again, why was I able to get that? It had nothing to do with the book or the content of the book. There are literally thousands of books out there on public speaking. Thousands. Mine is just one. And frankly, I don't know that mine is the best one. I think mine tells my information my way. And I I literally, it's spoken in my voice. Because what we did to write the book was we transcribed all of my training uh, videos. So literally when people read the book, they know what they're getting when they come see me in person. I think that's the thing that I am most proud of, of my book, is that it is my voice, that there's no distinction one way or the other. It's not like, you know, I, I, it's written as I speak. So people know what they're getting when they get me, but I still needed to say up front, this is, this is my history. This is my story. This is how I came to gather this knowledge. So that the people who needed to hear my message my way understood up front that it was for them. Otherwise, they could go and get one of the other thousands of books that will teach them the exact same information. It's just this will resonate with the people who are of a similar mindset or who need to hear my messaging my way. Right, right. I, I Through this question, I just wanted to understand, you know, how you built your story. Uh even in the face of adversity. Obviously, you know how to, you know, stand in front of people. But the way you built up your own story and uh, stood in front of adversity, in, you know, your father, he, he died at a, at the, when, when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. And it is not an easy thing for anyone. So be, before telling your story to somebody, your story, you have to build up your story, the story mm-hmm. of your life. And that is where you talk about even a lot about adversity through your story, through how you built your story. That itself is a lot of, you know, stuff that people can uh, take inspiration from. uh, That even if their stories are disjointed at different points in time, whether there are any omissions or commissions, whatever they are, at the end of the day, they can still put all the chapters together and build up a good story for themselves to be able to tell it to the world. Well, so, and that's that's why I say you need to be a curator of your stories, plural. So, uh, you know, we have a couple minutes left. So why don't we do a really quick exercise, AJ, with your, with your audience. They can, if they, you know, right now they're doing this live, so they'll have to come back and hit pause on the replay if they need to. But if they have a pen and paper in front of them right now, wherever they happen to be, grab that right now. Or if you're, you're watching this on your computer, pop up a notepad, right? Just get the little notepad uh, in Windows. And what I want them to do is some really quick math. 
the first thing I'd like them to do is take their age, however old they are right now, and round to the nearest five. That's either up or down. So you're only you're either going up by two or down by two <laughs> or closer within, right? So take your age, however old you are, round to the nearest five, and now divide by five. What that will do is give you five even time periods to look at and analyze. And so for me, if I was to do this exercise, I'm 43 years old, so I'm going to round up to the nearest five, which is 45, divide by five, which gives us nine. And so I'm going to look at my life in periods of every nine years. If I was to do this last year, I'd have been 42. I'd have rounded down to 40, divided by five would have given me eight, and I would have looked at even time periods of eight. If, you, if you're an audience member who's like, yeah, yeah, but now I have fractions and I don't like fractions and I want exact numbers... Then, then if you had to round up, subtract whatever you rounded up by, it was either one or two uh, from your last time period. And if you had to round down, it was either by one or two, put that onto your first time period. So if you round it up, subtract it from your last time period. If you round it down, add it to your first time period. Why? Because we usually don't remember the first year to two of our life. So that gives you a little bit more extra time to remember at the beginning and our memories of our most recent past are usually the most vivid. So we don't need as much thought with that. So we'll take it off from there. So if, if, we, if you're an audience member who needs exact, you can do it either way. We've now divided our life into five even time periods. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look back at each one of those time periods. So just write them down like zero to nine, 10 to 18, 19 to 27, whatever yours happen to be, those are mine. And I want you to look back for me, zero to nine. What is your most significant memory in each one of those time periods? For me, if I look back, AJ had already alluded to it. My, I have two very distinct memories. Both of them are auditory. The first one is being six years old at my Christmas play. And that is the first time that I ever received laughter and applause. And it was the most joyous experience. And it has really guided and informed every decision that I've made ever since, because I've been chasing that high since I was six years old. You know, it is a beautiful feeling, particularly at the end when I got a standing ovation, the energy that ran through the crowd, and it just like permeates into you. And anybody who's ever experienced it knows exactly what I'm talking about. And anybody who hasn't experienced it, I hope you do at least once in your life, because it is the most heartwarming, chest expanding experience. It just it speaks to your soul and your aura in a way that nothing else can. And I have lived with that high for the rest of my life and all have wanted to repeat it regularly. The next significant memory that I have, because I do have two from that time period. And if you do have two, write down the two, but we only need to focus on one. The second one for me, still auditory, two months later, almost to the day, the sound my mom made when a police officer and my family physician came to the door to tell my mom that my father was never coming home. She made this guttural, earth-shattering, spine-tingling sound that I, I never want to hear again, ever, in my life. So within a span of two months when I was six years old, I heard a sound that I will forever chase 
and want to repeat as much as I possibly can within my life. And then I heard a sound that I never want to hear again. And I have spent my entire life avoiding. And those are two very profound things that have impacted who I am and what I do. And it's no wonder then that as a career, I am a safety professional in that I have dedicated my life to making sure that nobody else has to hear the one sound and that I can communicate in a way where I feel rewarded, enjoyed, and get the positive affirmation of applause and recognition. And that, that when you look at my life, you go, oh yeah, no, of course, this is how Tyler turned out. So your job is now to take those five even time periods and ask yourself, what is my most significant memory? And understand that it doesn't have to be like this vivid image. It could be, in my case, a sound, could be a smell, could be a color, could be a feeling, or it could be a very distinct memory that you have and you can play it like a movie in sequence. Whatever it is, I want you to write it down and don't take too much time thinking about it. This, with the math, this entire exercise should take less than five minutes. Do the math and then one minute per time period maximum, maybe even 30 seconds. What is your most significant memory? Because it should be the first one to pop to your mind when you think about that time period. When you have those five, or if you get maybe six or seven or eight, whatever, but minimum five, I want you to look at each one of them. And now this is the bit that takes more than five minutes. Ask yourself, why? Why was that memory so important to you that it stood out? And you may want to go further. Do you associate that memory as a good memory or a bad memory? Like, is this something that was positive in your life or something that you feel was negative in your life? And then start to explore why you feel that way. Because uh, I will tell you right now, it's it, 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 that is a perception. It isn't a positive or a negative in your life. It is an event in your life. But how you perceive it is very telling to what your audience will then need to hear. So we look at these events, write why they're significant to you. Maybe if you feel that they are a positive or negative influence in your life, understanding that that is just your perception. And then this is where the real joy and the real exercise comes because this will be an ever-evolving process for you. What are the lessons in those events? What did you learn? What did you need to learn? What did you know prior to it? Did your views change because of it or were they further enhanced because of it? Did this solidify your viewpoint or did this change your viewpoint? What could your audience learn from that? And this is where your compelling story starts to come in. Why is it important for your audience to understand this? And now how do you retell that story? And the retelling of that story comes in you if you're using the hero's journey model that Joseph Campbell made famous, you need to remember you are not the hero of your story. You want to tell a compelling story to your audience. You are not the hero. They are the hero. If I take it back to the star Wars analogy, you are not Luke Skywalker. You are Obi-Wan Kenobi and you are going to guide your various Luke Skywalkers through their trials and tribulations so that they can finally meet up with Darth Vader and confront him and become a Jedi or that they can finally blow up the Death Star and help the rebellion overcome the Empire. You need to be that sage, that mentor that guides them through it from your past experience saying, I know this to be true because of X, Y, and Z and you can do this too. And if you take your stories, 
find what your common theme that weaves through all of them are. Now you can start to tell your narrative. You can curate your collection of stories so that you can inform your audience so that you can leave them better than you found them by helping them learn the information that you've already come to know and understand to be true. Right. And how do people who want to be guided by you, either business uh, owners, executives, or even individuals who want to be guided by you or want to know more about you and also maybe to want to buy the book where they can buy the power to speak naked? Well, so a couple of things there. The first thing is they can always come to my website because we have all the information for all of those things posted there. And I'm sure, AJ, you will post that in the show notes on my behalf. So I don't need to worry about that. But they're already on your platform. So before we tell them how to get to my platform, AJ, I would ask because they're already on your platform that they hit pause right now on this play. And whether they're watching this on Facebook or they're watching this on YouTube or they're watching the replay on somewhere else, I want them to just take a moment and either give a thumbs up or a like or a five star rating and write a quick review for you, AJ. Why do they keep coming back to the masterclass? Why did they keep listening to what you're presenting? Why? Well, who is their favorite guest? Was it me? Was it Michael Harris? Was it somebody else? Like who was their favorite episode and why? What was the content that really resonated with them so that you can bring on more guests that are like that? So it only serves your audience right now to hit pause give you a five-star review, say specifically why, what it is that they're enjoying so that you can bring them more of that. And if they're willing to do that as a thank you from me, because it helps me, because if your show is more popular, then my episode will be more popular, which means that I will grow as well. So we're helping everybody here. Everybody's helping everybody if we get a five-star review out of this. As a thank you from me for doing that on behalf of AJ, you can come to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, seantylerfoley.com. And if you come there, you will right at the main page above the fold is an invitation to join my Facebook group called Endless Stages. Now, if you come to Endless Stages through my website versus going to it directly on Facebook, because I know a few of you are on Facebook right now and are just... Already headed up to the search button just to search endless stages. Don't do it that way. Open up a new tab. Come to SeanTylerFoley.com. If you come that way, we'll give you a couple of free bonuses. The first one, you'll get a PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked. So you don't have to spend the whatever it is, $17.95 US on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else that you're getting it. Uh, Please go to your local bookstore and request it, by the way. If you do want to get a, a hard copy of the book, Jeff Bezos just flew to space in a phallic-shaped rocket. He doesn't need more money, but your local bookstore probably does. And my bookstore is available in over 100 countries due to my publisher being amazing. So uh, please go and ask your local bookstore uh, for my book if you want a hard copy. But if you want to know if it's worth even paying money for, you come through SeanTylerFoley.com, sign up for Endless Stages through the website. We'll give you a free PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked. I'll give you access to the Drop the Mic Trainer series, which is very easy to digest. Seven simple online videos that will make you a better public speaker, give you very actionable tips and ideas, very easy to to, um, review. All the videos are under five minutes, so it's less than 35 minutes of content. 
uh, if you watched one a day for the next week, you'd be a more effective speaker by the end of the week. And uh, on top of that, you will have access to Endless Stages, where I go live every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern time, so that uh, we can answer any of the questions that have come up in the group for that week. So you'll get access to the book, you'll get access to the training series, and you'll get access to me live just by coming through Endless Stages through my website, SeanTylerFully.com, where you can also see my entire speaker calendar, where I'm going to be, uh, what I'll be doing. So all that information is there. But AJ, only if they give you a five-star review. No five-star review, no endless stages for you. That's just how it is. I want them to hit pause right now, give you a five-star review and say why. And then it would be my joy and my privilege to have them come over to my website and, uh, and get some of those free gifts. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. That's very generous of you, very kind of you. And I, I will include all the details of your website and of your email and everything that is possible onto the YouTube description so that they can, you know, reach to you safe and sound and come out much more happy and prof with lots of profit and a lot of free stuff. My last question to you, uh, Tyler, is that you have built up a great story till now, whether in a with all the difficulties and all. But now you are more in control. Now you can guide your story better. You can write your story better. Where is it that you want to take your story from here onwards? How do you see yourself? What do you seek your, for yourself in your story? Honestly, 2023 and into 2024, over the next 18 to 24 months, I want to be speaking on the larger stages again. I had the joy and the privilege of getting to uh, be on one of Tony Robbins' last stages that he'll be doing outside of Robbins' research, where he was, you know, contracted to be on a third-party stage. And I want to do more of that. I, I, I love the big stages. I love being able to help people tell their story. The best way that I can do that is to be in front of a large audience and speak too many so that I can find those people who resonate with my story so that I can find them and work with them one-on-one. -on -one. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited to come on your show because you have a phenomenal audience. You have curated trust with them and, and for a good reason. You are an expert in your country and internationally. And I love what you're doing with, with your platform. And so it was such an honor and a privilege to come and, and be able to talk to your audience today. And I want to talk to more people and I want to do it live. So as the story is evolving, I'm working with various promoters. I want to get more of an international audience. Most of my audience is primarily in North America, a little bit in England, because I, I again, we're part of or have been part of the Commonwealth. And uh, so I do have, you know, a, a little bit tie back to, to England, um, just being a Canadian. Uh, but I would like to bring it to the Southern Hemisphere. So I really would like to get down to India. I'd like to get down to Australia. I'd like to get down to New Zealand and be able to, uh, you know, help and, and, and really get my message out so that other people can get their message out. Because that is my message, that everybody has a story. And I think it's really critical that people learn how to tell that story effectively, even if they don't want to be like a public speaker the way that I do. I think it makes you a more effective business person. It makes you a more effective family member if you can explain to your loved ones how you feel and tell your story in a more effective, compelling way. Like this is not just for executives and CEOs. 
This is communication skills. And I think that we have lost a lot of our communication because we are able to keep things to 144 characters and send it off without any personality or inflection. And I think that is, I think we need to work away from that. And I think we need to redevelop our storytelling skills so that we can communicate with each other so that we can understand each other's points of view and bring harmony back to the world. And that's kind of my mission over the next 18 to 24 months is to help people do that effectively. So I would like to see it happen. I would absolutely love to be down in the Southern hemisphere a little bit more, love to be able to work, um, you know, the Pacific Rim a little bit more and to be able to, to find those larger audiences. It's fun doing the workshops with 20 to 30 people. It's really fun working with the executives one-on-one, but I want those 5,000, 10,000 audience, um, uh, again, like I want to, I want to be in front of that many people. So that's the the goal over the next 18 to 24 months. So if anybody needs somebody to speak at an event, I would be my joy and my pleasure to have that conversation with you because I would love to, to see if I could support any events of a larger nature. Right. Right. I'm very sure this story will certainly come true with this. It's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for coming on to the show.